a new year, a new you. How many times have you heard that or some version of it this year already? A new year, a new you. If you'll order Nutrisystem or Jenny Craig or if you'll join the this gym or, or that gym, if you'll read this book or that book, if you'll take these three easy steps or those three easy steps, if you order this product or that product, oh, everything is going to come together for you. You see, we're always looking for something, something to fix us. It's as if we recognize that we're broken, that, that something isn't right, that we need something beyond ourselves is the answer in self-help? Is the answer in losing weight and getting in shape? Is the answer in philosophy and deep thinking? Is the answer in education? Is the answer in finding a new relationship or in just getting a buzz? What is the answer for our brokenness? What is the answer for the messed upness that we all feel? These are the questions that we'll think about. As we look at Colossians chapter 1, let's read verses 1 through 8 together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. In verse 1, we see that Paul is the author of this book and that he is an apostle. God had given this assignment to Paul. Although Paul had never been to Colossae, he has the authority to write to the Colossian church because he's an apostle and he's writing as a leader, a God-designated leader of the, of the church in, in early times. Now, he's not alone. He's ministering alongside Timothy. We see that. Paul writes to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. Now, when we think of the word saint, we think of someone who's super spiritual. But from a New Testament perspective, the term saint just means someone who knows Jesus. Now, he says that these are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, these are folks who are dedicated to the Lord. They're walking with the Lord, and they're a part of the church at Colossae. Paul expects that any believers who lived in Colossae would be a part of the church there, would would be a a member of of the local church. Now, Colossae was a town in Asia Minor, a province of Rome, now in in, uh, Turkey. And it was about 100 miles east of Ephesus uh, in the region of the seven churches that you see in uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It was in that area. More important than the physical location uh, of these churches, Colossian believers is their spiritual location. Paul says that they are in Christ. In other words, these believers know the Lord Jesus. Their identity has been changed. They are in Christ. In his introduction, Paul reminds the Colossians of God's grace. Now, grace points to dependency on God. It reminds the Colossians that 
they're not in a right relationship with God because of their own achievement, but because of God's grace, because of his work. And Paul also mentions the peace of God. Why? Because he longs for the spiritual and physical well-being of these uh, believers. Next, in verses 3 through 8, we see Paul's prayer for the Colossians. In verse 3, we see the subject of Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving because of the faith of the Colossians. Notice that Paul calls God the Father of Jesus Christ. Now, all throughout the book of Colossians, we're going to see Jesus lifted up. We're going to see that he is majestic, that he is great. But here in chapter 1, he's grounding the, the person of Christ in his relationship with the Father. He is the Son of God, and he has been sent from the Father. Next, Paul gives the timing of his prayer. And what does he say? He prays always. He prays regularly for the church at Colossae. He longs to see the the believers there remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. And so Paul prays. In verses four through five, Paul gives the reason for his prayer. He gives thanks to God because the Colossians demonstrate Christian virtue. Now you think of 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul says, faith, hope, and love are central Christian virtues. And that's exactly what Paul Uh, says of the Colossians here, their their faith in Christ Jesus is is to be uh, uh, praised. He's thankful because they have believed in Jesus. Second, they demonstrated love. They had a deep love for each other. Their faith was worked out as as a church, as a people, and how they treated fellow believers within their church and even believers beyond that. They really cared for each other. They really loved each other. Of course, this required more than casual commitment and occasional involvement with their church family. They clearly had invested their lives amongst fellow believers in Christ. Third, they demonstrated hope. They knew the Lord Jesus and they held on to the hope of heaven. Their vibrant faith and their deep Christian community, well, it was anchored in the hope of what is ahead. The Colossians hadn't experienced the fullness of their salvation but they recognized that it was stored up for them in heaven and that one day, one day they would experience that joy like a kid waiting for Christmas Day, anticipating Christmas Day. These Colossians were holding out hope that great joy was ahead. And this encouraged them to stay the course in the present when things were tough, things were challenging. Now in verses five through eight, Paul gives the foundation of his prayer and it is the gospel. The gospel message had changed the Colossians. The gospel is a message of hope. It is good news. We see that all through scripture. The gospel is God's good news. But how is it good news? Well, this is the reason. You see, God is holy. He is without sin. Yet every single one of us is guilty. We're we're guilty before God. We are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And that sin separates us from God. We like to imagine that we're really not that bad. Most of us, I'm I'm a pretty good person. And maybe, maybe that might be true when you're comparing yourself to other people. But friends, when you stand before God on judgment day, the comparison won't be between you and other people. You'll be standing before a God who is infinitely holy whose character and nature is absolutely pure. And there's no way that you can stand before him. You have no hope. You can say to him, look at how nice I was to such and such. And look at how I did this that was good and that that was good and how I avoided doing this or that. 
And it'll be a joke before a God who is absolutely, absolutely pure. And so we're in, we're in trouble. How can people like us, again, who are sinners by nature and by choice, how can we stand before that God when judgment day comes? And make no mistake, judgment day will come. It will come for every one of us. We'll have to stand before God Almighty. And there will be, as I mentioned a moment ago, no pleading about how good we are when we stand before him. Our sin will be so apparent and evident. The things that we've been able to hide away and kind of put makeup on here and hide, there'll be no hiding before him. And this is why the gospel is incredibly good news because the gospel tells us that God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus to come to this earth. Jesus lived on this earth for around three years and he lived a perfect life. A perfect life. He was nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross, though an innocent man. But this is what God did. He took the hatred in his pure and holy character that he has towards sin, and he put that upon his own son. And Jesus suffered the, the death that we deserve to die on himself there on the cross. He he took our punishment upon himself and he made a way for us to be saved. That's the gospel message that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he was raised again. And because of that, we can have life. And friends, that is very, very good news. That's what Paul says is the foundation of his prayer. You see, when you turn to Christ in faith and you call out to God and say to God, I know that I've sinned. I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I I want to follow him. The Bible says when you call out to God like that and you mean it, God saves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. And this is what God does. When you call out to him in faith, he gives you credit for the perfect life that Jesus lived. And now when God looks down, instead of seeing me and all of my garbage, he looks down and sees the perfect righteousness of his son covering me. I get credit for what Jesus did. And if you'll turn to God in faith, you will too. What wonderfully good news. It's the foundation of of Paul's prayer. So how can you go to heaven? How can you have a relationship with God? How can you have the wondrous hope that the the Colossians were, were holding on to? Well, turn from your sin and call out to Jesus. The Colossians had heard the gospel that the was preached and they had believed it. Paul says it's the word of truth. In other words, the gospel, the words of God are reliable. They're they're absolutely true. In verse six, Paul says this gospel is bearing fruit. In other words, the gospel was changing people's lives. He also says that it's spreading all over the world. In other words, the gospel was was being shared with people and people were believing and it was it was it was having a, a broad impact. And then Paul says, you know what it's doing worldwide. You brothers and sisters at Colossae, you know that it's done the very same thing in your fellowship. You know how you've been changed by the gospel and you see how the message of the gospel is spreading in Colossae. So Paul is reminding these Colossians that the gospel is powerful, that the gospel changes lives. Now, this is in contrast to false teachings because you read the book of Colossae, you're going to see that there's all sorts of false teachings trying to, to sort of sprout up in the church. And Paul is confronting these, but here he's confronting them by saying the false teachings, they don't change lives, but the gospel, the gospel really changes lives. It's the real thing. It's not a placebo. It really changes lives. 
Now, false teachers here had probably been enticing these, these Christians at Colossae to look beyond the gospel for spiritual enlightenment. And so Paul keeps bringing the people back to the fundamental truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ saves, that he's the one who changes us. In verse 7, we see that the Colossians heard the gospel from Epaphras. Paul calls Epaphras a fellow servant. The, the word literally means a slave of the same master. So Paul and Epaphras are committed to their master, the Lord Jesus. Now, earlier, Paul had spent around three years ministering in Ephesus, again, which is nearby Colossae. Uh, many believe that at some point, Epaphras had left Colossae, traveled to Ephesus, and had come to know the Lord Jesus under Paul's ministry, then returned to Colossae and planted the church here at Colossae. If this is right, then years have passed, and Epaphras has given a report to Paul about what's happening at, at the church at Colossae. Lots of great things were happening in this church. But also, again, they were dealing with these false teachings. Now, in verse 8, Paul shares that he has heard about their love in the Spirit. Paul is complimenting these brothers and sisters for their deep commitment to each other. And Paul says, you know what? This is evidence of the Spirit of God working in your life, of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Now, in these verses, we see glimpses of the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is, is an essential biblical teaching, an essential biblical teaching. Every person who knows Jesus needs to have a grasp of the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity reminds us that there is one God who exists as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. Now, if that blows your mind, it should. That, that's mind-boggling to think about. There's one God who exists as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each are co-equal and co-eternal. That's what the Bible teaches about the person of God. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you'll find the idea of the Trinity everywhere in the Bible. Now, this is an area where false teaching abounds. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is a special creation of God, not God himself. They teach that the Holy Spirit is a spiritual force, not a member of the Godhead. Mormons teach that Jesus was not a God, but he achieved Godhood. They also teach that faithful Mormon men can also achieve Godhood. So we must hold fast to the biblical teaching that there is one God who exists as three, as, as three co-equal and co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we see glimpses of that, again, right in this passage. But let's back up a little bit and let's ask, what is the main idea of this passage? And here it is. The gospel is the true hope for a changed life. The gospel is the true hope for a changed life. Self-help isn't where hope lies. More education might be great, but can't ultimately fix the human heart. More social programs can't truly transform the heart of a person. Know our hope in being changed at the most fundamental level is the Lord Jesus. It's in knowing him. It's in being changed by him. Now, kids have a way of, of humbling us. Parents, we... We experience that probably on a regular basis. The other day, my boy told me, Daddy, I wish we could, and he was using his hands as he said this. You can imagine it as I share it with you. He was using his hands, and he says, I wish we could take the hair on the sides of your head and push it up. And, <laughs> and, 
And I said, you know, son, I wish we could too, but it, it just, it doesn't work like that. And another time he asked me, um, who was older, me or Pastor Greg? And I told him, and he said, well, you know, Greg looks newer to me than you do. <laughs> and uh, my, my boy's comments remind us in a superficial way that we're not who we want to be. They remind us that, that we want to be different, that we need something more. But let's think at a more deeper level. What is it that we need? Well, the Apostle Paul's prayer reveals what it is that we really need. It is to know Jesus. It's to grow in him. It's the power of the gospel at work in our lives. I might could get a a transplant and move some of the hair on the sides of my head to the top of my head, but it still wouldn't fix me. What would really fix me? Well, it's knowing Jesus. It's loving him. It's not just saying, hey, I'm a Christian. It means I'm really, I want to know him with all that I am. That's what's going to transform me and change me. And friend, that's what's going to make the difference in your life. Not a, a superficial relationship with Christ, but a deep and growing relationship. If I had one wish for you in 2019, it would be this, that each one of us would get a hold of the fact that we can quit chasing after all of these other things that promise to fix us and that we could dive into the reality of knowing the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly, to love him with all that we are. Friends, that's where change is at. That's where you're going to find a cure for the soul It's in knowing the Lord Jesus. So let's reflect on how this truth should shape our lives. Are you chasing after counterfeit gods? Are you looking somewhere besides Jesus Christ for your hope? If I could just get this job or if I could just achieve this goal or or get that degree or if I could just make this much money or if I could just buy that truck or if I could get that house or if I could just have fun and live it up. Oh, we chase all sorts of counterfeit gods, but none of these, none of these is the power of God for transforming lives. None of these truly transforms. You see, Jesus doesn't remodel us. He remakes us. He doesn't do a renovation, but a total transformation. And these counterfeit gods are not the power of God. They'll never satisfy. Next, place your hope in the gospel. If you don't know Jesus, turn to him. He's the one who can take your broken mess and transform it. In our culture, we, we throw around the term hot messes to describe something that's just an absolute disaster. Listen, Christ specializes in taking the hot messes of our lives and transforming them. If you don't know him, turn to him. Today, the peace of God could be yours. Next, if, if you're a believer, commit to grow in Christ. We're not supposed to come to Jesus and then we're done. No, we're meant to grow and be changed and become more and more like him. One of the clear ways this happens in the, the book of Colossians makes it clear is in the context of Christian community. So are you building weekly worship and small group Bible study into the rhythms of your life, into the life of your family? And if not, why not? That's one of God's great ways to help you grow. God uses our relationships with each other. If church is something that, that we work in every now and again, when there aren't more appealing options, 
we're cutting ourselves off from one of the primary ways that God grows us. These relationships that we need, they take time. They take intentionality. Maybe your takeaway today is that you need to build some strong relationships with fellow believers and really build church and Christian fellowship into the rhythms of your life and the life of your family. Take away water from a plant and see how long the plant lasts. Will our relationships with each other nourish us and strengthen us and help us grow? Next, are you praying for fellow believers? Paul is praying regularly for these brothers and sisters at Colossae. Are you praying for fellow believers? Are you praying for for our church? Do you want to see God move here in a powerful way in our church and in this community? Well, then pray. We need you to pray. Every single one of us needs to be calling out to God and saying, God, do a work like this here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say that in Uvalde, like Paul said of Colossae, that people are coming to know Jesus. They're becoming strong disciples. They're growing in him. The gospel spreading through this city, having an impact in the city. Wouldn't that be incredible to say? Well, guess what? Prayer was backing that effort up. So friends, pray. Pray for God to move. In many ways, this passage expresses our mission as a church. We want to see the gospel changing people's lives. We want to see our town impacted by Christ. So pray. Pray for God to move. Next, take hope. Maybe you're in a rough season of life. This passage reminds us that you can take hope. This life's pretty rough sometimes. But what does Paul say here? Oh, there's incredible hope stored up for you in heaven. Now, think about stored up, this idea of stored up. It kind of reminds me of when there's some big celebration and they've got the netting just filled with hundreds of thousands of balloons and they open that netting and the balloons just come falling down on you. That's a picture of of the blessings of God being showered upon you. You see, one day, One day, when we cross the finish line, that's what we're going to experience. The incredible, wonderful blessings of God that have been stored up, and now the nets are open, and the blessings of God are going to cover us. So, friend, if you're facing a rough time, you just remember that day's coming. The nets are going to fly open. The balloons are going to fall. The blessings of God are going to cover you. We've seen that we can take hope in the gospel. I want to share with you the story of a man I knew who had been on drugs for several years. He'd been in trouble with the law, been in jail, abusive to his family. His family happened to live uh, near the church that, that I attended. And uh, he was living with one of his boy's mothers, but, but they weren't married. This man's son started going to church regularly, and he came to know Christ. Some of the men of our church reached out to him. And this boy's dad started coming to church and he came to know Christ and he changed. He got a job and he kept a job. He started treating his family in the right manner. He got away from drugs and he got away from the friends who who pushed him in that direction. And eventually he took what he learned in his job and he started his own business, a business that's still very successful. He got his family in church and I don't mean he got him in church once every couple months. I mean, he got him in church. It was real. Wasn't, it wasn't play for him. It meant something. And his entire life changed. What happened to him? Plain and simple. The gospel. The gospel. It was the Lord Jesus. It was the power of God. We can chase after all sorts of things to fix the brokenness 
or the emptiness that we feel, but the only real fix is the gospel. It is knowing Jesus and growing in him. There's only one cure for the soul, and it's the Lord Jesus. The gospel is the true hope for a changed life. So believers, decide this year that you are going to grow deeper in the Lord Jesus, that you're going to read the word daily, that you're going to spend time in prayer daily, that you're going to plant your life in a church family and build relationships, get involved in a Bible study, be regular in worship. You're going to do the things that help you grow deep in the Lord Jesus. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I want to plead with you today. Today, the deep longing that you know in your soul, there's not one thing that can fix it aside from Jesus. Now, you can do some things that'll for a while make, it, make you feel better. You can do things to self-medicate. You can get a buzz. You can do this or that. But friend, I want you to know the buzz will always end. The work, the job that you loved will one day end. Whatever you'd placed your hope in, it will not last. But friend, if you fall in love with Jesus and you come to know him, you have eternal joy, a joy that will never, ever end. And so I plead with you today, if you don't know Jesus, would you turn to him? Would you cry out to him? And say to him, I know that I've sinned. I want to follow you. And if you pray a prayer like that and you mean it, then friends, I want you to know Jesus is going to save you and he's never, ever going to let you go. Let's pray together.